we hear in the PhD process going through doctoral work is working independently. Mm -hmm. The idea of being an independent scholar does not mean being isolated and cut off from others who are going through the journey. You're listening to the Happy Doc Student Podcast, a podcast dedicated to providing clarity to the often mysterious doctoral process. Do you feel like you're losing your mind? Let me and my guests show you how to put more joy in your journey and graduate with your sanity, health, and relationships intact. I'm your host, Dr. Heather Frederick, and this is episode 37. On today's show, I'll be talking with Paul Shaw, who is a second-year doctoral candidate at Union Institute and University. His major area of concentration is humanities and culture, and he is also pursuing a certification in creative writing. Now, along with juggling doctoral coursework, conducting scholarly research, and teaching, Paul maintains his career as a professional jazz musician. I mean, come on, how cool is that? And not long ago, he released a new album, so congratulations on that, and welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Heather. I appreciate it. So there are so many things we could chat about, but where I would love to start is your story. I mean, how does one go from living out the dream of being a musician to finding oneself in a doctoral program? Well, everyone's story is different on that count. Mine it goes like this. My career as a performing musician was during my time in the military. So I essentially logged 20 years in the Air Force as a touring jazz drummer. And then the last three years of that career, I also spent teaching at the Air Force Academy. So when I retired, my wife, Melanie, and I, we packed up and went to Manhattan to pursue music further. Uh, Mel being a longtime online educator, it was very easy for her to to continue doing what she does while we moved to Manhattan. So at this point, the PhD wasn't quite on my radar, but playing in, in Manhattan was. I did do a master's degree there. That was kind of a tactical move to do a master's at NYU in order to meet musicians. Also utilize my GI Bill from my, from my retirement. Now, those two things really helped us kind of thrive and get my career going in Manhattan as a player, as a musician. And when that ended, I did three semesters to get my... Uh, master's. And I was like, I really want to do this. I want to do a PhD that informs my music. So while there were options to go into a doctoral, uh, a doctor of musical arts, a DNA, which, and having done some research, it really felt like it was more of the same graduate work, just even more targeted. And so I started looking around at traditional PhD programs because I really wanted the, the challenge of writing a traditional scholarly dissertation because some of my interests are outside of music include history and kind of social studies in general. So when I found the program at Union, it was an, it's an interdisciplinary program and it brings together all these different strands. And the thing that probably drew me in the most was the fact that one component for the final project is a creative dissertation. I could choose to do a full-length album of music, for example, with a scholarly, anywhere from 80 to 200-page contextualizing essay. 
So that initially drew me in a way to continue the creative process, but to broaden the scope into an interdisciplinary way. And I felt like, okay, well, this would be great because this will in turn inform the way I compose, play, the kind of projects I want to do. And that's, that's how I came to choosing Union Institute and University. So it sounds like you were actually able to find a program that was a really interesting blend of creativity and academia. So I've got a couple of questions for you. One, did you always think of yourself as an academic? That's a great question. No. And I would say the point where I really started to consider that I liked something other than music was back in, I believe, 2000. I had just left my first four years were in the Marine Corps of my 20-year career. And I, I got out after that. And for 15 months, uh, my family, we lived in Atlanta. Our kids were going to school. Melanie was new to the online world and, and doing well. And I went to school at Georgia State University. And it was my second time around. I had already done two years at Rutgers before Mel and I. <laughs> we left school, we got married and started the family. But at, at Georgia State, I had a history professor who, through his course, I fell in love with American history and pursued that. Ultimately, when I did get the bachelor's, it was a bachelor's degree in American history and music. So I think that was the beginning of some notion that I really loved history, liked writing, and have recently taken with writing poetry in addition to the lyric writing that I've been doing for nearly 15 years too. So I'm sure some of the listeners are listening thinking, wow, part of his dissertation gets to be creating an album, which sounds amazing. How long did it take you to find a program that was such a great fit with your skill set, your interests, and where you want to go next? Yeah, that was an interesting process. I had a few schools that I wanted to look at. I knew Juilliard has an artist diploma. Even NYU has a, a PhD program. The only one I actually applied to first was Boston's online music education. And I was waitlisted on that program and ultimately didn't get into that. It was tough. I had no education background at that point. I was just performing. But I liked a lot of the courses. So I started to look at programs, A, that were online, and B, that really did kind of allow for not only music, but some other areas that I was interested in, politics and history. So when I saw the description of Union Institute University's program, couple things I was drawn to. The interdisciplinary nature of it, so there was a lot of humanities, lots of philosophy, the creative dissertation piece where I could create music as part of the, the structure. And then a part that was also important to me that turned out to be very important was the 10-day in-person residency. I felt like that piece, granted, we've been in COVID, and so I've had to do two via Zoom. But I did do two that were in person, and I think I'll have at least one more that will be in person again. But that component has proven very exciting because the time that we get uh, together with faculty and peers really carries us through to the next semester. Let's dig a little deeper in that residency because I know some people, when they're looking at programs, might think of a residency component as this extra thing they need to do. Often there's additional cost. And so 
I've worked with students who tell me, I look for programs that don't have a residency component. You just shared how important it has been for you. And I know as a faculty member teaching those residencies, for me feels like so much happens in such a small period of time that is difficult to create over email or an online class. Do you want to talk a little bit more about your residency experience? Yes. So first residency, every day, from approximately 8 a.m. to 5 p.m., there are classes going on for 10 days. Each class that you sign up for at the residency meets three times for two hours each time. In addition to other presentations by faculty, some dinners, some lectures, and plenty of social uh, events as well. So it's intense. You meet people fast and you, you learn a lot about people in a very short amount of time. And it's particularly with your cohort. And my cohort started at 15. We have nine members now at the year and a half mark of a three-year program. But you, you learn so much and, and the relationships, they forge so quick during a residency. It's very intense. And that momentum and that inspiration kind of carries through the semester in terms of feeling connected to the work that you're doing because you're still remembering the residency and you're cognizant of the fact that it's going to come again. So there's a nice arc to get from one semester to the next. Yeah, I know that for me as a faculty, it was kind of what strung together those periods in between where mm -hmm. you're not having that face-to-face. -face. And like you said, right now with, with COVID, we're using the technology that we can and absolutely you can build relationship, you can still feel connected. And for those of you out there listening, thinking, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure residency is really that important to me. You know yourself best, but I can say from my experience, having residencies available have meant a lot in terms of maintaining that motivation that you need to keep going, particularly because you're not only learning, like you said, intensive, you're getting to connect with the faculty. So you're, you're actually getting content, but you're also getting support. And you're meeting people who are doing and going through the program with you. Let's talk about that. How important has support been for you? It's the linchpin, in my opinion, of success in one of these programs. Support is critical. And I feel like the residencies, even on Zoom, of course, my perspective with the Zoom residencies, my relation to Zoom is that I had two in-persons first. And they, no doubt, have carried into the, to the Zoom relationships. For the new folks, they only know the Zoom residencies. And so we work to help them, us older students. We have text threads. We have Facebook group. Cohorts are really integral to support, I think. We, we kind of carry each other across the finish line, regardless of the concentration we're in. In fact, these days, we're doing vastly different things and don't see each other as much so that those touch points are just invaluable. In the early goings, like the first and second semester, we're constantly checking in to figure out dates, when this assignment is due for who, how are you doing on yours? I've got eight pages, I'm really burned out, how about you? And those things are, I really do feel are the key to moving forward and not talking yourself out, quitting, or which is not always a good word, there are always valid reasons, but it can overwhelm you. And with that kind of support, you can mitigate those feelings of being overwhelmed and pushed through. 
And I think that's just so important for people to hear. I went to a residency program so I could, you know, pass my my cohort members in the hall and uh, you know actually see expressions on their face when you're in a seminar oh they're confused too but one thing that i noticed in the online environment was i would see students just starting to become deflated and apathetic and kind of just not engaging anymore and when i asked them are you talking to other students and they said, no, I would ask, why not? Well, shouldn't I be able to figure this out on my own? And I've already had this successful career. And I don't know that I have time for new friends, but I think it's one of those things that isn't talked a lot, or maybe in my opinion, enough, especially when you're starting a program as a mid-career professional, you know, like, hey, you're going to want this support. You're going to want to see what's going on and kind of cross-check yourself and normalize your experience, for lack of a better word. Absolutely. I think one of the biggest things, to your point, that come from that kind of communication is the realization that what you're feeling and what you're going through, you're not alone in that. Several, most, go through all those kind of rites of passage. And if you can just see it or get to talk to someone and acknowledge, yeah, we're both going through this, so others have too, apparently, so let's just keep moving. It's invaluable. And there are students we have to watch for who may not be quick to, to speak up for themselves or ask about this or that. And the longer you do a program like this, you know, a couple semesters in, we kind of watch out for new incoming cohort members to say, everybody goes through this. We are here to let you know, speak up. I'm a member of our student governance committee, and we do a lot of outreach for the school, for the doctoral students to make sure people know they have resources, lines of communication to not get isolated in the process. So if you're listening and you're new to a program, keep your eyes open for ways to get involved, ways to find support. Maybe if you're further along in your program, keep your eyes open for someone that you could mentor and shepherd through because this really is a community of scholars. And one word that people will use to describe this process is isolating. You know, and with COVID, I think so many interesting things have happened, but more and more people know how to turn on their webcam, know how to <laughs> communicate online. There is an avenue there for building relationships that maybe wasn't as, as accessible prior. You mentioned isolate. Another word that we hear in the PhD process going through doctoral work is working independently. Mm. The idea of being an independent scholar does not mean being isolated and cut off from others who are going through the journey. Working independently and producing scholarly work is not the same as having support to get through coursework, to get through all facets of, of the doctoral process. I want to know, Paul, you as a musician, do you still have hobbies and how important is it to maintain a hobby while you're or, you know, a favorite pastime, something that relaxes you while you're going through a program? That's a great question. I read, <laughs> I like to read, which is helpful to be in a doctoral program. <laughs> That's for sure. Uh, but for example, I have a month off before we start again, what will be my fourth semester. And I'm just like reading as many uh, novels as I can. Some poetry. I love to read poetry. You know, in the course of a day, there's some time at my drums. 
there's some time at the guitar and there's some time at the, at the keyboard uh, writing. And I do like to get outside. That's my balance. That's where I take my breaks. Well, I'm definitely planning on having someone else on the episode talk about grounding and the importance of being outside, but I'm so glad that you brought that up because maybe that was exactly what someone who's listening needed to hear right now. Maybe they need to shut down their computer, like put on their hiking boots or their tinnies and go outside and commune in nature and be grounded so that you can clear your mind and not be all work and no play. Absolutely. I, I am a major proponent of that. Do you have any advice for someone who has a successful career thinking about maybe enhancing because the program you found very much is enhancing the skill set you already had? I think so. That's What advice would you give someone who's kind of tossing around the idea of pursuing a doctoral program? I would say in looking for a program, really take Take a moment to reflect on whether or not you, you do value the residency piece or whether it's, it's not something you want or can have in your life circumstances. You know, if you prefer it to be all online without that in-person part, that's an important place to begin because then you can start looking for schools based on that. But looking at a program, because it's such a long game investment, you know, even if it's just you burn through it in three years, still, that's a significant amount of time. You take real stock in what it is you love and what you're doing. And if you want to do more of that, or if you're seeking to take a left turn, because that's what you're needing uh, in your life, that doesn't necessarily mean you're, what you're doing isn't congruent with where you've been. It means there's something you haven't been getting that you're going to get from the program. That's kind of, that was another piece that I felt what led me to union as a musician. I wasn't going to get this cross pollination of information, feminist theory, history of philosophy, critical social epistemology, what these things mean at the granular level and how I can culturally through music address those issues that's why I picked this program. Nothing I would have seen in music. And so that's something to think about too. What you like, if you want more of the same, if you want something different, and then go forward looking for your programs based on those things. You know, Paul, I think that's such great advice to take time to take stock, right? Take stock of what's important to you in terms of face-to-face -face components, course content. Look at those courses. Take time to look at the catalog, yes. right? And the time requirement is a real thing to consider too, especially if you've got competing responsibilities and every program is different. But those are questions to ask as you're going through the admissions process to make sure you're not going to start a program only to find out, oh my gosh, this isn't what I really wanted. Yeah, exactly. Which is okay if and when that happens, but the more you can take those earliest moments before you push the button and and do that self-reflection, you're more likely to hone in on something that really resonates with you. Well, Paul, do you have a favorite quote or any words of wisdom you want to leave with the listeners today? Sure. When I was doing my master's degree, I did that at NYU, and I was doing it in, in music, jazz studies. And one of my professors, his name is David Pietro, is a renowned alto sax player. One afternoon, David said to us, set your default 
setting on discovery. It just says an individual, set your default setting on discovery. In other words, be open-minded, be willing to flex and be inquisitive. It doesn't take any energy at all, really, to just be open to possibility. So I really like that, that thought. Set your default setting on discovery. I love that default setting on discovery. It just really brings home this idea that curiosity is so valued in a doctoral program, isn't it? It is. It's the hallmark of being a lifelong learner. And a doctoral process certainly is a, a process of self-discovery. Would you agree? Absolutely. <laughs> 100%. So, Paul, thank you so much, not only for being on the show today, but for your service to our country. And if people want to find you, you're on LinkedIn, you've got a professional Facebook page. Of course, all your music is on Spotify. I'll link this in the notes below for those of you interested. And I look forward to chatting with you again soon. Thank you so much for having me, Heather. Great to be on your show. Thanks for listening, and I look forward to connecting with you on the next episode. But until then, I'd like to invite you to visit my website, expandyourhappy.com, where you can download a document I wrote called The Doctoral Journey, 12 Things You Need to Know That They Probably Won't Tell You. And when you download that article, you'll be invited to participate in a seven-day email adventure that will help you kickstart your happy doctoral journey. I'm looking forward to connecting with you there. And until the next episode, I'm sending you more joy for your journey. Oh, hey, one more thing. The information, opinions, and recommendations presented in this podcast are for general information only. 